Hello, and welcome to episode number 21 of the Lab I-68 podcast. This podcast is for women of faith who want to get their restless behinds out of the pews and into the battlefield for the kingdom of God. We are here to equip and encourage you to put your faith into action in every area of your life and to claim the name of Kingdom Builder. My name is Leah, and I'm joining you in the messy middle of a surrendered faith. Friends, this is the beginning of a very special series of advocacy. Our focus will be on the very important topic of human trafficking and modern day slavery. But even if human trafficking is not your heart cause, please stick around because I really believe that these women will get you fired up to start becoming everyday advocates for the causes that the Lord has given you. This year has highlighted our need to care for the vulnerable and the marginalized in our midst and those who are oppressed around the world. Even though it can feel hopeless, I want to assure you that these women will remind you that there is no place, no matter how dark, that Jesus can't show up and that is what can give us true hope. Cause there ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough. It's that kind of love. If you've been following me for any length of time, you will have heard me talk about December. December is an awareness and fundraising campaign to fight human trafficking. Throughout the month, I'm going to give you some more information on the campaign and why I love it so stinking much. But first, what is it? It is a fashion challenge that asks you to wear a dress or tie each day for a month. It's kind of like Movember. It really is a fun, approachable way to start your advocacy journey. And I know for myself, my very first year was a life-changing year. For this series, I want to introduce you to some other advocates, so you don't just take my word for it. I want you to listen in on another advocate, Lane Clement's testimony of participating in December. I began participating in December because I went on a mission trip that revolved around human trafficking prevention and restoration work. That trip really opened my eyes to how prevalent trafficking is in the world today and how many people are suffering as a result. After returning, I couldn't just forget about it and move on. I had to find a way to keep fighting for these victims, and Dressember is an awesome way to team up with other people to do that. For me, one of the most impactful experiences of participating in Dressember has been the responses I receive from people who I've interacted with as I've fundraised and done advocacy events. I've interacted with so many people while participating in Dressember who didn't even know trafficking was happening on the large scale that it is. Being able to discuss the reality of human trafficking with others, its scale, its impact on victims and society in general, and the cultural factors that contribute to its existence. Discussing these things and seeing these people make the decision to get involved in the fight is so encouraging. People want to help, but often don't know how. Giving them access to the resources Dressember provides and the opportunity to participate in the annual campaign provides them with a tangible way to do that, and I love being able to facilitate that. This experience has impacted my faith in many ways. God calls us to reach out to and care for the least of these, the rejected, the abused, the captives. Trafficking victims definitely fall into that description. And Dressember has been a great opportunity for me to engage with others regarding trafficking, and that's awesome. But it has also allowed me to grow in how I rely on the Lord and have faith in his ability to work beyond my means in reaching these hurting children of his. 
As I participate in Dressember, I am also engaging in an intense month of prayer for victims of trafficking, those in the mission field fighting trafficking, and for all of us to continue in the fight with faith in God's ability to fight this battle with and for us, even when it seems like we can't win. We can't win on our own, but He can. Watching how he provides the means to reach fundraising goals to support all of these organizations that are doing this incredible work, it's an amazing reminder of his faithfulness that encourages me in my faith. Drisember has not asked me to do this series or to ask you to join their cause, but I just want to give you a really tangible way to begin your advocacy journey. I have my own team called Team Dress to Protest with Dressember Canada that I would love for you to join if you are Canadian. If you want more information, email me or check out the links, all of which is going to be in the show notes. This week's guest is the founder and visionary for Be Lydia, an anti-trafficking nonprofit based in Austin, Texas. Be Lydia uses hospitality to work to prevent child sex trafficking. My guest is a wife, mother of two, stepmother of three, a grandmother or tutu of four, and dog mom to three crazy dogs. She enjoys spending time with her family and friends in the kitchen and hanging out at the lake. I want you to please welcome my guest, Terry Ingram. In this episode, Terry and I dive into the mission of her organization, how it uses hospitality on mission, and she gives us a little bit of information about sexual exploitation, especially that of children. I know that this topic is really heavy, but it's real. And she gives us a little insight into how these children are exploited and how they're groomed. So whether you want to jot down some notes on protecting children, or you want to know how you can use the gifts you already have to advocate, this episode is going to encourage you that the Lord has placed in you what you already need to do this work. Before we go into this episode, I want to make a little announcement. After a lot of thought and a lot of prayer, the team over here at Lab I-68 has decided that it would be best to scale back to producing episodes every two weeks. And you might be wondering why that is. Well, the real reason that we started this podcast is so that you women, my sisters in Christ, that you would hear the information and that you would want to take action with it. And we feel like if we are putting information in your ear every week, it's just too overwhelming. And so we really want you to take the two weeks to explore the topic so we can explore it together on our Facebook group, through the emails that I'm going to send, and that we would be able to really focus on the topic for two weeks and that you would be able to see some kind of action step that you can take in your own life and actually take it. Next week, you're going to get one more episode and then you'll have to wait another two weeks after that and then it starts every two weeks after. We really feel like this is the best decision and I hope that this would just encourage you to not only listen to the podcast as a form of entertainment, but that it would give you the time to do something about the episodes because that is truly our heart and that's truly our mission here at Lab by 68 Okay, let's go into this episode with Terry Ingram. Welcome, Terry, to Lab by 68 podcast. I'm really grateful that you're here talking to us about a really heavy topic, but I would love if you could introduce us to yourself a little bit by sharing what are some of your roles right now in your life and where are you recording from? Okay, so I'm Terry Ingram and I'm the founder of Be Lydia, which is an anti-trafficking faith-based ministry. And I live in Austin, Texas. And I'm a mother. I have two kids of my own that are almost 14 and 22. And then I have three 
older stepchildren and four grandsons from them. And Mm. I just celebrated my 24th wedding anniversary. And that's it, I guess. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. All right. So you mentioned that you're in a trafficking ministry. Um, So can you tell us how you got started in this space? And in particular, I know you work with more so with children and child sex trafficking. So can you just give us a little bit of background on that? Sure. So it's um, completely crazy (laughs) and only something that God could create, really. So my background is in interior design. And then I quit that when I was raising my kids and I had health issues. And so I became a health coach and I kind of felt like that was my calling. And, you know, this is what, this is my purpose. I'm helping people. And I loved it, but it was also very draining. And so in December of 2015, I felt like God was telling me to shut everything down. And I was tired. So I was, you know, like, amen, I want to shut things down too. So over the holiday break, I released all my clients and and shut my website down and everything. Mm. And I just kind of sat in it. I call it like a liminal space of not knowing what I'm supposed to do with my life. Yeah. And just kind of listening for God to direct me. And so then March 12th, 2016, I had this dream where in my, my dream, I heard this booming voice say, be Lydia, be Lydia, be Lydia, be Lydia, over and over and over. And I, I literally sat up and said, God, just put it in my head so I can remember in the morning because I don't you know always remember my dreams. Mm-hmm. And I went back to sleep and then I woke up and I always, um, like I wake up and I do my Bible study and journal. I journal pretty much every day. And I journaled like what I call a download from the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to describe it, but it was, it was six pages of detailed notes about being like Lydia in the book of Acts who heard Paul preach the gospel. And she responded and showed her faithfulness by using hospitality. But I was supposed to respond and show my faithfulness by preventing child sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was supposed to host events and like all of these details. I mean, like minute details. And at that time, I didn't even know what child sex trafficking was. I didn't know what any trafficking was. I had no idea. My husband and I had donated to Operation Underground Railroad and I didn't even know what it was. It was just like kids in Thailand, you know, are being abused. Here's a hundred dollars or whatever. I had no idea. So I knew it was totally God. This is a God dream. And so I told my husband, And I told my Bible study, I didn't tell them the details, just I had this crazy dream, pray for clarity. So that was March um, 2016. In May, I I actually went to see the movie, The Abolitionist, which is the story of the Operation Underground Railroad. And they Mm -hmm. mainly go in and rescue kids in third world countries. But I realized for the first time, really what it was that Mm. these kids are being raped. And I I knew I was supposed to start a nonprofit. So I had gone ahead and I had signed up under an alliance partner, um, Women's Nonprofit Alliance. And so I got the ball rolling, but I didn't know what it was Mm -hmm. um, until that movie. And I was completely wrecked. Like I Mm. knew without a doubt, God put this, you know, why me, first of all, you know, what are you doing, Lord? So I knew I was supposed to host events. So I had asked my church, this is 
so crazy, but I need to host an event here. And I invited five anti-trafficking ministries based in Austin um, to come and speak. And I knew, you know, going back to Lydia in the Bible, she was an entrepreneur, which was, you know, Mm -hmm. it's rare for us to learn about that. But I knew that I wanted to have women vendors and set up like a marketplace at this event. And so I had women that were selling like noonday or, you know, like all of the kind of multi-level marketing companies. Like these are just like friends of mine or friends of friends that are trying to earn some money while they stay at home, but wanted to do something tangible to make a difference. So this event was amazing. And It was very humbling. Like I really thought I was losing my mind and it was like a midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. And even two weeks before the event, I had 12 vendors signed up and I think I had 13 people signed up to come. Like nobody was coming. And I'm thinking, this is the most embarrassing disaster of my life. What have I done? And I was even at my church handing out postcards before the service and you know, saying, oh, we're going to have this event and learn about child sex trafficking. Nobody would even take the postcard until I was saying, oh, here's some jewelry. We're going to be selling jewelry. (laughs) It was like, it was at that time in my community, nobody like, what is that? You know, that sounds horrible. I don't want to learn about that. But the day of the event we had, I think it was like 170 people came. It was crazy. And, Mm. and it was, it was teenagers all the way to women in their eighties. And like one, one woman in her eighties said, it's the most meaningful thing I've ever been a part of. And all it was, was we were sharing the truth of what is going on in our society. And then let's figure out a way to do something. And that was the start of my ministry. At that time, I kind of, I didn't know what I was doing, but I, it was like a green light to keep going. And I thought I was just going to host events and go from church to church and host events. But everybody in the anti-trafficking industry was working on the crisis level, which, you know, it is a crisis. You need to be there. And they were working in restoration and nobody was really working on prevention and awareness. And so, you know, I just thought more moms need to know what, what is going on. And then I think we can stop it and we won't always be at crisis. So that's when I started changing, you know, what I did was really to meet more with moms, moms and dads, but moms are the ones that kind of share the information the most. Right. Yeah. Well, and we were talking a little bit before we recorded how things have changed a little bit with COVID. And because I'm assuming when we release this, things are probably going to be pretty much the same. I would love if you would share a little bit about how you guys have pivoted. Well, so we're essentially event-based. We meet with moms all the time, not in an event. I mean, we just go from home to home if we need to. But Mm -hmm. because we host so many events and we host events for teens, we obviously had to cancel everything. And so that turned out to be a blessing for us because... First of all, it made us go back and just really pray and sit and meditate on like, Lord, you knew this was coming. This is not a surprise. So where do you want to take be Lydia? And so now we just do more Zoom calls. And so it's actually been great because we can share awareness with anybody. Um, And like, if you grab 10 of your friends and put together a meeting for us, we can meet with you on Zoom and, and just educate you and share awareness And then with your gifts and talents, you can figure out what you want to do about it. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much because that's really empowering other people to keep going too, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. So just for all of our listeners to be on the same page, 
I would love if you would tell us a little bit about what is child sex trafficking. Well, it can be labor or any time that you're tricking a child into doing something where they're exploited. So right. it could be labor, um, which happens mostly in third world countries, although I'm sure it does happen here. But child sex trafficking is tricking a child or taking advantage of a child, exploiting them um, sexually. And so it's essentially rape. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And it happens from you know infants all the way to adulthood. But the the average age for children to be trafficked is 11 to 14. And so what happens is they're tricked into being raped by other people and they're they're sold. It's a, you know, billions of dollars are made. It used to be that drug trafficking, which is still number one for money in trafficking, you'd never heard about, but it's quickly, it's approaching to be number one. I think it's number two right now in the world. So it's a lot of money is made. It's done for different reasons. Some of it's generational sex abuse where the parent was abused. And then now it's just part of their culture where it's almost normal for that to happen. Mm. So it's horrific. It's also with the invention of, you know, social media and apps where you can um, send pictures and videos it's called sextortion, mm-hmm. where kids are being tricked into sending photos or videos of them in a compromising position with their clothes off or, or whatever. And then they're essentially blackmailed into sending more. Or if, they're, if they know that trafficker in person, they're often sold. You know, like, I have this video of you. And so now you essentially have to do what I want. And that is have sex with my friend here. Right. And it's a, it's a cycle. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so heartbreaking. Um, I would love if you would go into, although it could happen to anybody who would be most targeted by traffickers. Um, for sure. Kids in foster care are targeted. Mm-hmm. And it, a lot of that comes from just not having any boundaries, not trusting people and, and early childhood sex abuse brings that to the forefront. I mean, if you, if you've been abused since you were a child, that's just, you think that's who you are and it's normal for you. So they're for sure targeted. And when I first started this, I heard, Oh, the, the pimps, you know, wait outside the school for the girls. And it's true. It actually does happen like that. So Mm -hmm. they're for sure targeted, but really anybody that's vulnerable. So that could be that could be anybody. That could be a girl from an affluent family who is needy and you know needs affirmation from other people, or doesn't get the attention that she you know should be getting from her parents, or or has too much pressure on her mm-hmm. to be perfect. And so, honestly, it could be anybody. Yeah, yeah. So what I love about your guys' original approach with the event planning was that you combined a really heavy topic with like the work of hospitality. And I was wondering if you could tell us why do those work so well together? I think it's a really creative and cool idea, but why do they work so well together? Well, I think there's a few reasons. One is, well, because I felt like that's what the Lord put on my heart. Yeah. But I I love hospitality. And I, I say that, and I have had to work through insecurity with hospitality of like mm. thinking, oh, my house needs to be perfect and, you know losing myself in, in that 
I've had to work through that. Yeah. But my heart is for hospitality. And I love food. I love food. Me and my friends will talk about food all day long. So, <laughs> yeah. um, that must be an Austin thing too. I feel like all Austinites are. <laughs> yeah, Austin is very food focused. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're obsessed with food. And so I don't want it to be like, oh, you just go to this event and go home. I wanted it to be approached in a way that if you're, if you're doing something that you love, you can also talk about something heavy mm-hmm. and you can have your friends over for dinner and have fun and you can have food and drinks and, you know, you can also talk about things that are heavy. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like you put it in a silo and you don't right. do both. You can do both. Women, <laughs> we can discuss things that are important and also talk about food and that salad dressing that you brought or, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> like yeah. people create a barrier and come up with excuses. And maybe that's part of being humble is just like, Lord, this is on my heart and I need to get over myself and my ego mm-hmm. and just do it. And mm-hmm. so I'm comfortable having my friends over for coffee and sharing a casserole recipe or whatever. Mm-hmm. And also I know we need to talk about this. So yeah, help me do both. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's more and more people that are willing to go into those deeper waters where there's a lot more hard topics. I feel like, I feel like there's a shift happening in culture, which is really exciting. And it's exciting seeing women participate in particular, I think, because we have so much that we can offer. Absolutely. Yes. Um, So advocating can be tricky because, and I've done, like I mentioned to you before, I did, I've done December for three years now. And while that's kind of a a smaller route of, of advocacy, I only do it for a certain time of the year and all that sort of stuff. I have, learned a lot (laughs) about how advocating can be tricky um, because we want to pull others into our cause, make a difference, but it's heavy stuff. And sometimes people aren't really hearing what we have to say. Yes. So what would you say is like the recipe for having healthy, effective conversations that could actually lead to change? So That's a hard one because for me personally, I had to really do work on my ego and not taking it personally when my friends don't have the same passion for what I'm doing. And that, I mean, that's hard. That's hard work is because you, when you're passionate about, like, how can people not care about this? You know what I mean? Yeah. But the thing is, there's so many things to care about. And so I think if you let go of offense, like the spirit of offense, and just come at it at a place of, this is on my heart, I just want to share this with you, and let go of the outcome. Because if, they, if, you're, if you're holding on to an expectation of if they're going to join your cause with you, you're going to be let down. Mm-hmm. You just won't. And so yeah. just share the information, share your heart. And respect them when they walk away from you. Yes, that's so good. That's so good. I love that. And I want to mention something that you mentioned before we started recording that I loved was, you know, you want to bring an element of hope to the conversation as well. Mm -hmm. Could you talk on that just, just briefly? Sure. So this is an incredibly dark topic and I kind of go in waves of whether 
I can handle it or not. And like, for instance, when we first started and I was learning about how many men were participating in this and the child pornography issue and just like how rampant it was, I was very, you know, I was like looking at men everywhere and essentially thinking, you know, you're, you're probably involved in this. Right. And I was very angry. I was so angry and just felt very dark myself. And I had to just pray with my husband and just say, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. I don't know why God chose me, but I'm, I'm not, I'm done. I'm not mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. And what we came out of that prayer was that, you know, the Lord put this on my heart to make a difference and he is hope and light and love. And if I'm sharing that, what God has put in me, which is, you know, to be a light worker, essentially, I know that the darkness exists, but I don't have to live in that darkness. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just changed my attitude about it. But then this past um, March through June, I was asked to be in this research group for child pornography and pedophilia. And and the things that I was looking at, the images were the darkest thing I've ever seen in my life, like mm-hmm. the most demonic ever. And I was in a very dark place. And then with the whole world you know, it seemed like the world is collapsing. And so I I was in a very dark place and I had to pray and meditate on, you know, again, like, Lord, why are you showing this to me? What am I supposed to do with it? And it's not to stay in that dark place. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's to release, to know it exists and then release it and work from a place of hope and you know, who is Jesus? He is love and he loves the traffickers. He's, you know, he doesn't love what they're doing, but he, you know, he loves those people. And so if I can share anything, it's that there is hope in this world. There's hope that this will end. And maybe it's not something that we see now, you know, it happens when we die and go to heaven with Jesus, but it's something to work towards. And so it's just a mind shift really. I don't know if I answered your question. No, that is actually, I feel like I can take a lot out of that myself. So thank you. That was awesome. Okay. So when we're doing the hard work of advocacy, I mean, you talked about that hope that we have in Jesus, which is so true and so on point, but how do we protect ourselves from compassion fatigue or even burnout? Because even after a month of December, I'm like, I need a break. <laughs> this is a lot. So what, what is your personal approach to that? Yeah. So that happens a lot. And that's exactly what happened this summer. Mm. Um, and I feel like I'm just now coming out of that. And the one thing that made the biggest difference for me is to spend more time in nature. So I think, especially with everyone being online, we spend too much time online and if you, if you step away from that and you spend time in nature, spend more time praying and meditating, like just listening to the Lord instead of like, ah, you know, all of these yeah. things that are on your heart, just don't even say anything. Just like, listen. And that to me is probably the best remedy. Those two things is, you know, praying and meditating and then spending time in nature. Sitting in the sun every day has been the best medicine for me. Mm. I love that. I love that. There's been a lot of talk of social justice issues on at, at the forefront of people's minds. And I, my concern is that 
it's going to be kind of more short-term mindset. Mm -hmm. So how do we really equip ourselves for that long-term advocacy? Um, I think most of the social justice issues involve poverty. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and trafficking certainly comes out of that. So, yeah. I mean, you can, you can choose your cause to get passionate about, but yeah. the underlying theme to almost everything is a poverty issue. And so if you can approach what God has put on your heart in a sense of balance, you're not going to be swayed by what's going on in, in the world. Mm. You're going to be, um, coming at it as a, a place of like, what has God put on your heart and then go from there. I don't know if I'm making any sense with this answer. That is awesome. I think that makes perfect sense. So with poverty being an underlying issue, one thing that you can do and what we're trying to do with our open hearts program, um, which is our teen program, come at whatever you're passionate about with a way to change the world from being a service to self world to a service to others. And so then it really doesn't matter what you're doing, what you're passionate about, change will come out of that. I love that. That's so, so true. When we start to make it about our own selves, it will become short term Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. That immediate gratification or whatever. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So I want to get really practical um, because that's what we like to do here. So let's say we can't attend one of the events that you're doing. We hope very soon in the future. (laughs) (laughs) How can we facilitate something in our own homes or churches that will gently lead people to understand our cause, especially combining it with like Christ-centered hospitality? So what I would say is that, first of all, pray for clarity and wisdom and whatever God puts on your heart, I would not react immediately because I think what happens oftentimes is that you need time to really hear from him and know exactly, is this, you know, something that the Lord put on my heart or did I hear something in the news? And, you know, there, it needs to be clear that this is coming from the Lord and then he will give you the steps to go forward. And I think if you just, if you're um, calm and, just confident that he's doing the leading, it'll happen the way that he wants it to happen. Every single time that we have done something where I reacted, I'm super impulsive. So mm-hmm. this, is, this has been so hard for me, but I have said, you know, like, Oh, the Lord put this in my heart. We have to do this. It's always been a disaster. Always, always, always. So um, I've learned that from the the women that I've been working with. That is a huge lesson for Terry Ingram is not to be (laughs) impulsive. And I think if I would tell you to do one thing, it's not be impulsive, just be prayerful. And he will give you every step that you need to do. Mm -hmm. I love that. Awesome. All right. So what are some key practical steps we can take to facilitate safe, grace-filled discussions while using hospitality, even if it's within our own home, but we want to be purposeful about what we're talking about? I think it's important to not gossip. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And also, this is just a fact. There's some people that feed off of dark energy. I don't know how else to say it, Mm -hmm. but they get stuck in wanting to know dark information. Mm. And so uh, we see that all the time. And we even have people that volunteer 
you know, if they're therapists or whatever, for us to unload on them and share information. And we always say no, because there's just some people that like to hear dark stories. Mm -hmm. And so I would just always just be mindful of never gossiping, never feeling like you're helping other people by sharing their story, even if it's under the guise of prayer, like we need prayer for this person because they're going through this. Just be mindful of that. And then also just be aware that there are some people who will hear what you share and get stuck there. Mm -hmm, For sure. And when you're with other people and do you just like go for it and tell them like what the cause is and, you know, just be really direct? Yeah. Okay. And this is why I like talking to parents or PTAs versus going in a school, although we will do that, is because I don't have to water anything down. You know, Mm. it's an adult speaking to an adult and I tell you everything because then, then you can use your own filter and share with your children at an age appropriate level. If I'm speaking to, to teens, it's different than if I'm speaking to young kids, you know? So, um, yeah, no, I just go for it. I, I think we need to know this is, this is happening. This is happening in your neighborhood. So you need to know all the facts. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So while hospitality might be put a little bit on pause (laughs) with this pandemic, (laughs) and I know that some people are still gathering, but a lot of people aren't. And so how do we adapt still using hospitality? How do we adapt for the pandemic? And in what ways have you been adapting? Well, something that's been fun for our team to do is to have dinner together on Zoom. So I think that's a great way to do it. Or you could have, I mean, you could have a themed, you know, night for that. Like everybody cook something Mexican or, or whatever, and, and just come together. And food is always a good icebreaker anyway. Mm -hmm. And you can just get down and start talking about what you want to talk about. But I think we need to see each other in person if possible. So I don't know. I'm a hugger, so it's hard for me. I yeah. I do meet with my team now, and we we hug, and you know, so yeah, yeah, kind of over that. I don't know. It depends on where you are, but yeah, totally. And I feel like all throughout the states, I mean, it's there's so many levels. I mean, from what we've been seeing anyway in Canada, it feels like yeah. I'm not. I'm. I don't buy into any of this. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, I live my life, but yeah. Uh, as a team, we have had to meet, on, especially when it first started. Mm-hmm. We met on Zoom a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing all of this, uh, Terry. I just, this is a very, very important topic. And I just feel like there is so much work to be done by just even the way we love our kids, the way we love our kids' friends, you know, the way that we install worth and value into them. And yeah you guys are doing really, really great work. So I just really appreciate everything that you're doing. Thank you. To wrap up our conversation, there's a few questions that we're going to ask every guest. And one of them is what is one or many resources that have inspired you in the work that you're doing? Um, I'm inspired all the time, but one um, that comes to mind is Becca Stevens with Thistle Farms Mm. in Tennessee. I love her heart. 
yeah, these women that are survivors and what she's done to employ them is something that's I'm very passionate about. And I hope that we get to do right now. We've had scholarships for survivors and I want to make that bigger. That's kind of where our focus is right now in working with girls that age out of foster care. And what she's done with Thistle Farms is so inspiring. So that would be the big one. Yeah, totally. Yeah. She's incredible. Mm-hmm. I've been following along with her as well. I would love to have her on the podcast. She's an yes, yes. incredibly inspiring person. All right. What is one spiritual rhythm or discipline that has been giving you life lately? I think for right now, it, it really is just going outside and praying and just sitting in the sun. I've just, mm-hmm. I don't know if everybody's felt this desire to be in the sun a lot, but I just sit and I just like soak up the sun rays and pray and meditate and just kind of be still. And I love it. I love it. I'm, I try to do it every day. Awesome. Wonderful. Okay. Well, last question is where can we catch up with everything that you're doing and how can we support Be Lydia? If people are want to invest more in your ministry, well, how can we do that? Well, we have a website, belydia.org. And we have faith devotions on that in the blog. And we have had a team of teen ambassadors come in and they're, we're on Instagram and they're taking charge of the whole Instagram account and they're blogging now. So um, they'll be on that. Yeah, it's awesome. And then if you want to host, like a host a Zoom call, if you wanted to get 10 or more people together um, we would be happy to to set up a time. You can email us at hello at belydia.org. That's B-E-L-Y-D-I-A.org. Mm-hmm. And um, if you want to donate, 100% of the donations goes towards prevention and awareness. All of our operation costs have been covered by private donors. Wow. And we're going to be giving all of the money that, we, that comes in is going to Um, help either prevent this from happening or go to scholarships for girls that are survivors and or aged out of foster care and have, you know, they want to go to school or or something with their life. And that does prevent them from seeking money from a pimp. So totally. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for making the time to come on here and chat with us. Thanks. So nice to get to meet you. Yeah, same. Friends, are you not encouraged to just start where you are? Terry's story is testimony to how God can place any cause on our heart and can use our many passions and gifts to point people to hope, truth, and justice. I want to give another special thank you to Terry for coming on, sharing her story and her work. Please follow her on Instagram at BeLydia, and you can check out all the links to find her in the show notes to learn more about her and her team. Every episode, We at Lab I-68 like to give our listeners a challenge that can be done in under five minutes that will help move you into action. This week's challenge is to take a few minutes to journal and pray about the gifts that God has given you. How might you use those gifts to advocate or build God's kingdom? Next week, I'm going to be talking to a woman who will be your new hero. Anu George Konchinatopal, director of IGM Canada. This episode is one that I think I will treasure for the rest of my life. It is not every day that you get to talk to someone who has had a profound global impact. 
Anu gives us the facts when it comes to modern-day slavery and human trafficking while not shying away from the immeasurable hope that she has for ending slavery in our lifetime. I am telling you, you do not want to miss this episode. All right, everybody, have a wonderful week and remember that you are a kingdom builder and your light is meant to be reflected into dark places. And together we're praying. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Have a great week, everybody. 